If you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. As I mentioned last week, we will be finishing John 13 today. And then next week, we will open up to a passage in 1 Peter 1, where Peter gives a description of how the angels and prophets long to look into the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And then on December 24th, we'll open to the Gospel of Matthew and look at the marvelous name that our Savior has. But this morning, our text is John 13, verses 36 through 38. It's a brief passage. I think it's a very familiar passage to many of us. But I want to encourage you. Don't let either of those factors dissuade you from studying this passage and learning from this passage. The Word of God is completely inerrant. The Word of God is completely sufficient. And the Word of God is completely authoritative. John 13, beginning at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. That in your word we would see the Lord Jesus Christ. That in your word we would see ourselves we would see our need for a Savior, your provision in Christ, and we would see how you are making us more and more like Jesus. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. This morning, this is a story about failure. Glorious failure. Failure that points us to our only hope. So often today, we think that Christians have to be powerful and successful. As if there's no hope for our country, no hope for the church, unless we show our power and win victories. Today we will see that relying on ourselves and our abilities is not only in vain. It is downright dangerous. Peter will learn that Jesus didn't need him, but that Peter desperately needed Jesus. So this morning we have two competing visions of assurance. Assurance from self and assurance from the Savior. Two visions that not only compete they show the vanity of relying on ourselves and our great need of the Savior. 
Well, let's begin then by looking at this passage and how Peter attempts to get assurance from himself and his own gifts. Before we do that, it's important for us to see the context of our passage. As we have been going through chapter 13 and we come to this short passage, we cannot forget what has been going on because it's very relevant to the text. Jesus has been telling the disciples over and over again about his coming death. We've seen this time and time again in the Gospel of John. Beginning in about chapter 5 or 6, Jesus begins explicitly speaking about his death. And then in this chapter, you will recall that Jesus demonstrated to his disciples a great act of service by washing their feet and by telling them that they were to follow in this vein, that they were to serve one another. And then he gave them the shocking news that one of them, would betray him. And then just last week we looked at a passage in which Jesus gave them a new commandment to love one another in a deep and new way. And so now as we come to the next event or scene in this evening, what would we expect to see here? We might expect that the disciples would ask more about this new commandment that Jesus just put in front of them. As, as we saw last week, this new commandment is not hard to understand. Even the youngest among us understand the concept of loving each other. But we also saw how hard it is to put into practice. And so they might have asked Jesus, how can we do this, Lord? What will this look like in everyday life? How could we possibly love like you love? All of these practical questions would get to the heart at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But instead we see something else. As our text begins in verse 36, Simon Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, where are you going? Now, this is not pure and vain speculation. It's actually founded on Peter's concern that his Lord is going away from him. But notice how quickly Peter moves from a discussion about following Jesus to seeking hidden knowledge. He wants to know the details that Jesus hasn't given. He should know that if Jesus thought it was important for Peter to have details, Jesus would have given them to him. But this is typical for many people. We would rather try to pry into all of the deep secrets of the Bible than to simply follow Jesus, to do what he says, to obey him, to love others, to seek after others, to hear and keep his word. So often in our day, especially in America, if people spent the amount of time trying to find, that they use trying to find hidden codes in the Bible to learning how to love one another, they would be far more like Jesus. But there's something, I think, even more going on here behind Peter's question. Peter is still not listening. He's missed what Jesus is saying over and over again and what his mission is. 
This can be very frustrating. I know it's frustrating to me because I'm not perfect like Jesus is. I know Jesus can take this in stride. But for me, I'm frustrated with Peter. Why aren't you listening? Jesus keeps telling you this. You know, we experience this in our homes. I have to admit that I have to make every effort to make sure that when I tell my wife I'm listening to her, I'm actually listening. Because what can often happen is I can be surprised with that very difficult question. What did I just say? (laughs) Not sure. Something about the house. Not sure. No. But Jesus is over and over again. In, In John chapter 12, he says, I will be lifted up from the earth and will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death. He was to die. And then Luke reports in Luke 18 that Jesus took the twelve as they were going to Jerusalem and he said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So Jesus could have answered the question, Peter, I told you last week, just a few days ago as we were coming to Jerusalem, exactly what was going to happen. Why are you not getting it? Just this very night at the Last Supper, Jesus distributed the cup and he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus has made very clear what is happening. And of all of the people, Peter is the one who should remember. Because after all, Jesus rebuked Peter for saying that Jesus shouldn't die. You remember that passage from Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. If anyone would remember anything, they would remember Jesus directly rebuking them. Peter would remember taking Jesus aside to correct him. Always a bad idea. Never succeeds. Not often repeated. So I want you to get a sense here of why Peter's asking this question. He's asking this question out of an ignorance. He's relying on his own knowledge that's not there. Peter should have asked better questions. But he didn't. Why not? It's not as if Peter thought what Jesus had just told him was unimportant. I think it's more likely that Peter just assumed that it would be easily attainable to obey that command from Jesus. He didn't need to discuss it anymore. Have you ever had someone help you with something around the house? They volunteer to help you cook or to help you work with tools in the garage, or to help you work on the car. And you say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And they say, I got it. And they run off. And you're like, I haven't even told you what I want you to do, let alone how to do it. And they say, no, 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 no. This is easy. I've got it. And you know what the result of that almost always is. It's a complete disaster. 
That's what Peter's doing here. He's giving no thought at all because he thinks he's already got it handled. This is the most dangerous kind of ignorance. It's not knowing what you don't know. And even more, it's assuming you know everything that you need to know. And so Jesus answers Peter, and that will lead to another issue. In verse 36, he says, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus makes clear that it is not a matter for the present. That's what Peter wants to drill down on. Lord, why can't I follow you now? Jesus says, it's not for the present. You have to wait for the appropriate time. And Jesus' answer should have been clear to Peter from previous statements that Jesus had made. Where are you going? Peter asks. Well, Jesus has been talking about returning to the Father. He just talked about being glorified in finishing his work. As a matter of fact, if our eyes go up just a few verses to verse 31, Jesus just said this a moment ago. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. But Peter's response to Jesus reveals his weakness. And his weakness is actually his own confidence in himself. It is typical Peter, isn't it? Interrupt Jesus and act like he can handle everything. No, no, Lord. Surely you must be wrong. Surely I can follow you. you you've got this. You don't understand, Lord. I'm ready to die for you. You know I can follow you. And Peter makes a statement that is as theologically shocking as it is practically shocking. He says, I will lay down my life for you. You don't need to go away, Lord, is what he's saying. I will protect you. I will die for you. Now, we focus on the bluster of the statement because we know what's coming. We're going to see in, in John chapter 18, yes, I guarantee you we will get to John 18 someday in several months, and we're going to see Peter deny Jesus. But that's not really what I want you to focus on here. We need to think about what it says theologically. You know, Jesus sees it, of course. That's what he says in verse 38. Will you lay down your life for me? And I don't think this is a question. I don't think Jesus is asking it in the tone of, are you really sincere, Peter? Do you really say that you'll lay down your life for me? I think he's asking it with a greater quizzicalness. Is that what we're talking about here, Peter? You're going to die for me? Because the subtext here of all we've been talking about is I'm going to die for you. That's what my mission is all about. That's how I'm glorified. That's how the Father is glorified. That's why we're in Jerusalem. That's why we're headed. That's why one of you has betrayed me. Are you missing something very basic here, Peter? I think that's true. It's not Peter who's going to lay down his life. It's Jesus. Peter is the one who needs the help. Peter is the weak one. Peter is the sinner. 
But do you see Peter's attitude here? He's acting like he's the one who has it all together. He's the one who's going to take care of Jesus. Now, we need to examine our hearts here before we criticize Peter. You need to think about following Jesus. Do you follow Jesus with respect to what you can give to him? Do you think about following Jesus and what skills or efforts or benefits that you can provide to Jesus? We have to kill that way of thinking. We come to Jesus and we follow Jesus with nothing. We need him for everything. But Peter is so confident, he distinguishes himself from the others. We know from Luke's gospel that right before this exchange between Jesus and Peter, that the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. And now this gives Peter an opportunity to boast that he fits the bill of the greatest. Now, you can imagine Peter, they're having this discussion. He looks around before he speaks in verse 37. He might even be saying to himself, well, I'm going to impress Jesus now. You think you're the greatest. Let me tell you what I'm willing to do. He says, you're right, Jesus. These others don't have what it takes. I'm sure you're right about them. You know, I'm not so sure about Nathaniel. And, you know, is Philip really committed? Do we know anything? But let me tell you about myself, Jesus. I'm ready to die for you. And we know this because Mark records it for us. Peter said, even though they all fall away, I will not. Peter distinguishes himself from all of the other disciples. They can all go running, Jesus, but not me. You can count on me. I'm your man. Now, this is Peter's pride speaking. He has always been the first among the disciples. If you look at the listing of the disciples in the Gospels, there are many different listings. Peter is always listed first. Judas is always listed last. There's some interchange amongst all of the others. And we remember that Peter was the first one to get out of the boat and walk to Jesus. That Peter's always the first one to ask questions. That he's always the first one to offer an answer. He just assumes that he can handle everything. Peter's a man who's bold. He's confident. He's not young like John. He's not quiet and timid like Timothy. He's a man who takes charge. You know, he's not afraid of putting his foot in his mouth. And as we've seen, sometimes he only takes his foot out of his mouth to put his other foot in his mouth. You can't stop Peter. So now, do you see where Peter's danger comes from? It's not from his weakness. It's from his strength. You know, if you picture Peter in your mind's eye, he's a big hulking man. He's a fisherman. He's strong and big and bold and got a big voice and not intimidated by anyone. And that's how Peter sees himself. But you see, when we assume that we are sufficient in ourselves and don't need Jesus, 
that's when we're in the greatest danger. Danger from sin. Danger from Satan. Danger from self-deception. Peter's trying to find assurance from himself. But then secondly, we see an assurance that comes from the Savior. There's an important parallel here that John wants us to see. He has deliberately put in this chapter, in this passage, Judas and Peter together here at this evening, at this moment. And now we see that there are some similarities in their actions. There are important differences, but we see the similarities. Judas is going to betray Jesus, but Peter is going to deny Jesus. Both are temptations that they fall into in the worst of all possible times. Judas is going to slink away and betray Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, will loudly and boldly declare that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. We're going to see that in John 18. Now, why does John want us to see this concurrence of Judas and Peter? I think first, for a warning. Peter is the first of the disciples. He is a strong, confident man. If anyone would be able to stand up to pressure of the disciples, it would be Peter. We would expect maybe Matthew to cut and run. After all, he's just a tax collector. Or John might not know what to do. After all, he's very young. Or Simon the Zealot might be discouraged by the lack of a revolution and a defeat. And we now know that we cannot trust Judas. He is willing to actively betray Jesus and bring about his death. But not Peter. I mean, after all, Jesus had given Peter the name The Rock. That just speaks of stability and strength and purpose. You know, in another portion of the scriptures, Paul tells us to take heed if we think we stand. We are all capable of falling. I've got news for you. You are not as bad as you think you are. You're worse. You are weaker than you could ever imagine. Do not trust in yourself. Don't think that you can play with sin because you won't get caught up in it. Don't think, I've learned enough Bible and now I'm safe. Don't think, I'm on vacation so now the pressure is off. Don't think, no one is looking so now I'm safe. It's only by looking to Jesus that you're safe. And John also wants us to see a difference here. On this dark night, John and Peter, or excuse me, Judas and Peter may look similar, but they are not. Judas's act of betrayal was premeditated. It was cold, calculating. He knew what he was doing. He initiated it. Whereas Peter's denial was born of fear, anxiety, and despair. His whole world was crumbling. He didn't know what to do. Now that doesn't excuse it. But it is an important difference between Peter and Judas. And that highlights the greater difference. Peter was saved, while Judas was not. 
Peter's sin was born of a heart that loved Jesus and wanted to impress him. Judas' sin was treachery cloaked in false piety. It was deception. When Judas saw how great his sin was, he had nowhere to turn and ultimately he killed himself. Instead, Peter was sorrowful. He repented and was restored. We see that in John 21. It's a remarkable story about the grace of God. And Peter would go on to be a fearless preacher and leader of the church in the face of imprisonment and death. And that's because Peter was truly united to Jesus. So he was safe in Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to Peter here? It's recorded by Luke. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you see Jesus encouraging Peter, even in the midst of this coming denial? Jesus is saying, you're not in this by yourself, Peter. I have prayed for you. The enemy is after you. You would have no possibility of victory there. But I have prayed for you. And when you have turned. It's with an air of certainty that Jesus speaks that. Then strengthen your brothers. You need to see this about Peter. When he was relying on himself... He could not keep his promise to die for Jesus. He was afraid of a servant girl. But when he saw his weakness and he trusted fully on Christ, he was capable of a boldness that he could never have imagined. Remember, this is the Peter who said, we must obey God rather than man. This is the Peter who looked at the Jews and said, you crucified the Lord of glory and was not afraid of the reaction. This is the one who was put into prison awaiting his death. And he did so with a calmness and a reserve. And eventually, Peter would follow his Lord all the way to the cross. Church history records that Peter was crucified for his faithfulness to Jesus. But because he knew himself and knew that he was not worthy of dying the same death that his Lord died, he asked that he be crucified upside down. He saw his own weakness and saw his strength in Christ. Peter's story is helpful for us in several ways. It reminds us not to trust in our natural abilities. Especially in America, we need to be reminded of that. Because if you are a good speaker, everyone will tell you so. If you are good at doing any sort of task or activity, people will build you up and tell you how great you are, usually to get you to do something for free. But they will lavish compliments upon you. But this story reminds us not to trust in our natural abilities and not to think too highly of ourselves. Not to think that we are the greatest. And it especially reminds us to be careful of the danger of pride. The proverb is still true. 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter needed to be taught that Jesus did not need him. He needed Jesus. And we need that lesson. Too often we are tempted by the lure of power and success. We can think if we only do the right thing in the right way that we are guaranteed blessing. And we don't need to lean on Jesus completely. Let me give you just one illustration of that. This often occurs with new parents. They have a baby, they have a child, they have a toddler. And they determine that if they just have the right amount of family worship and prayer and Bible reading and not only church but Sunday school and if they just allow the appropriate amount of video or television or film and no more that everything is guaranteed and their kids will turn out perfect. Now if you haven't noticed I'm getting old. I'm about to any day now be a grandfather. And I've learned a lesson that many of you have learned as well. And is that's not how parenting works. Now, now, do not hear me saying you should not plan to give your children the Bible and worship and prayer and Sunday school and vacation Bible school and all sorts of other benefits. But you can't rely on that. You need to spend more time on your knees for them than you do doing these activities. Without Jesus... There is not only no guarantee for success, there is no success. And we need to learn that. You see, we look at this text and we think, Peter, what a dummy. You're not going to die for Jesus. We know that. We know the end of the story. And that yet we take the same mode of thinking into our lives. That's why John has recorded this for us. Calvin puts it very succinctly. He said, let us learn to distrust our own strength and take ourselves early to the Lord that he may support us by his power. Now we also need to hear that when we believe in Jesus, we're not truly lost ever. Jesus gave that assurance to Peter even before he restored him. Now we know again the end of the story and we think, of course, in John 21, Jesus is going to restore Peter. But Jesus actually tells Peter that he's going to be restored and will not fall away before he even denies him. Look at verse 36. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow me afterward. Peter, you will follow me. Jesus knew that Peter would betray him. He even told Peter so. But Jesus would never betray Peter. And Jesus will never betray you. When you cast yourself on Jesus, you can know that you are safe. There is no one who can take you out of Jesus' hand. Jesus said that exact thing in John 10, 28. You can trust Jesus. This message is important for us. It shows our limitations. It warns us against overconfidence and boasting. But most of all, it shows us a Savior who saves 
to the uttermost. If ever there would be someone that Jesus would cast off, it would be the one who denied him on that dark day. But instead, Jesus tells Peter that he prayed for him and preserved him from the enemy. Beloved, you have that same Savior. Let's pray.